Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. There are times that your God is too small. There are times that my God is too small. And not that he actually is too small, but in the ruminations of our mind and in the secret places of our hearts, we act like he's too small. We make him small when we hand, when the way he handles this world. We make him small the way he handles maybe some things in our life. Maybe we make him small. We feel like he cannot come through and help us deal with a certain amount of problems we're dealing with. Or we make him small when we shoot our glory elsewhere instead of to him. And I want to begin this morning by telling you a story about a couple who made God small at the beginning. And then I want to finish the story at the end of my sermon about how they would give him glory as he is a great big God. And the story comes from Paul Miller. He's the author of A Praying Life. It's one of my favorite books, A Praying Life, Paul Miller. In 1981, his wife was pregnant, and she prayed a simple prayer from Psalm 121. She prayed that God would keep her baby from harm. And then when her baby was born... It seemed like harm broke out everywhere. The little girl came out blue. And over the next two decades, they were trying to figure out what was wrong with her. She didn't speak until she was 25. She had a variety of issues that was kind of diagnosed as autism or pervasive development disorder. Her muscle tone was floppy. Her eyes couldn't focus. She had frequent pneumonia and trouble breathing. And so for the next 20 years, they went paycheck from paycheck as they raised not only this little girl, but their other five kids, trying to figure out life. She prayed, Lord, keep my child from harm, and all she sees is harm. And she said, the mom said, I had to take my daughter every single day up this hill to where the cross is and, and just leave her there and then come back down and do it all over again. She said it hurt for her to hope, and they wondered what God was doing. Maybe he's too small. Maybe he doesn't have a plan. Maybe he can't come through. And I know on Sunday morning when we study the Word of God, we can get so pumped about the Lord and say, yes, we're excited. But when stuff starts to hit in our lives, we wonder, maybe God's too small. Maybe he doesn't have a plan. Maybe he's not going to come through. And that's why we got to keep going back again and again and again to the Word of God where we will see that God is a big God. He does have a plan, and He will come through. And we're going to study the bigness of God once again in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, if you want to go ahead and turn there again. Paul started this argument back in chapter 9. And the issue is, what about the low number of Jews who are being converted? And he's going to answer the question, did God's promises to Israel fail? 
And he answers it in three parts. Part one is chapter nine. God does not elect everyone within Israel for salvation, but only a remnant. Part two, chapter 10. Israel was responsible for failing to believe in the Messiah. And part three, chapter 11. God is still saving some Jews today, and there'll be a greater ingathering in the future. We started the argument last week. There has been this hardening of the Jews, so the mass amount number of Gentiles can come in. But one day there is going to be, once the Gentiles are finished, then a mass and gathering of Jews who believe in Jesus. So that's where we're going this morning. Start with verse 25 of chapter 11 with the mystery. Paul says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, this mystery is something that has been known in the mind and the heart of God, but it's been concealed from us. It's a very specific plan, and now the mystery is revealed to us in this context. And the mystery is this. God has partially hardened the Jews temporarily. In order that many Gentiles can be saved, but there is still a future for the salvation of Israel. Now, we experience this. There's very few Jews that you know that are believers in Jesus. We do know some. Uh, but on a whole, they are not responding to this gospel message. And this hardening will last, did you notice this, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This is a, a, a reference to the number of elect Gentiles who will believe and be saved. And only God knows that number. So if you're the last Gentile holdout, get saved today, please. But once the fullness comes in, the hardness will be lifted and salvation will come to Israel. And then it says in verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved. What does that mean? Well, the concept of all Israel doesn't mean every single Jew will be saved. The phrase all Israel will be saved is similar to the phrase until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. That doesn't mean that every Gentile is going to be saved, but only the elect to believe in G Jesus. So the, all Israel doesn't refer to every single Jewish person, but only the elect to believe in Jesus. And even though we don't see many Jews believing today, there will come a time where masses amount of Jews will come to Jesus. And now the question is, when is that going to happen? This is a big question, and I'm not going to act like I have all the answers, and I'm not sure of the sequence of events, but I want you to look back. Can we do this at, at verse 15 in chapter 11? Look at verse 15 in chapter 11. We're in the same chapter. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Huh. So perhaps this means that once the Jews start to turn to faith in Christ in masses, the spiritual benefit for the world will be as significant as life from the dead. But life from the dead is usually used in a literal physical sense rather than spiritual, which means, I think this is what this means, that more likely this references to an end time physical resurrection of the body 
at the return of Christ. And let me kind of just show you that argument by looking at verses 26 and 27. Now, you're going to see some Old Testament quotes here. Isaiah 59, 20, and 27 through 9, and 27, 9, and Jeremiah 31, 33. So, right? so we're in Romans 11, verse 26 and 27. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So the deliverer is Jesus, and he's going to bring salvation to Israel. But notice that he's not coming to Zion, but from Zion, which could be, maybe, a reference to the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, when Jesus rules from Jerusalem, which is synonymous with Zion, for a thousand years. Maybe it's a reference to that. Or maybe this is a reference of Jesus coming from heavenly Zion in the second coming. Either way you take it in the sequence of events that you all put together, the reality is there's going to be mass ingathering of the Jews being saved in the end times. And the reality is God is not small. He has a plan. He's working his plan. At the time when this is written, at the time we see now, we go, God, are you really working your plan? You made all these Old Testament promises to Israel. We don't see many Jews being saved. Are you going to come through on your plan? Even though it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it, God, but God says he will come through for the Jews. And I think for many of us who have experienced God's salvation and caring sovereignty right now, we have experienced this joy in Jesus he came to break our hearts to draw them to himself. Let me, let me just tell you a little bit about this. This past uh, Tuesday, I was out walking the dog with my 13-year-old daughter. And while we're walking, I said to her, if I did not get saved at 19, we would not be walking together this dog right now. But God has a plan that he took this punk 19-year-old guy, broke his heart, brought him to Jesus. Many years later, we're walking this random dog on some random Tuesday with my Ethiopian daughter in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Who plans that? But see, God, he saved me. And he's working his plan. He's working his plan. He's working his plan. And I think you could say that for, as well in your life. But you know as well as I know when things are not going well, we're kind of wondering, God, are you, you really working your plan? Like the salvation of the Jews, but this is personal. Are you really working your plan? And the idea is, yes, he's big. He's working his plan. He's going to come through. And everything he does is for your good and for his glory. That's the reality. All right, let's keep moving. Both Jews and Gentiles are beneficiaries of a salvation. Look at verse 28. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience... So these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. All right, let's try to get a handle on this. 
throughout the Old Testament, you have this prevailing sentiment among the Jews that they are God's special and chosen people. And some of them may even say God shouldn't save anyone else. Jonah. Have you read the story of Jonah? He was a disobedient prophet. He didn't want to go to the pagan Gentiles because he knew that God would be merciful on them. And yet, as we see here, God has had mercy on the Gentiles and the gospel through the disobedience of the Jews. Now, the Gentiles may be feeling superior and look down on the Jews for rejecting Jesus. But God is not done with the Jews. Because verse 29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So it has been his plan all along to take the mercy, get this, it's been his plan all along to take the mercy shown to the Gentiles and bend it back upon the Jews. So sum it up. Jews and Gentiles are equal opportunity sinners. They're equally disobedient. So both Jews and Gentiles are equally beneficiaries of God's salvation through faith in Jesus. Because too many times we may act like as Gentiles that we are the end goal of salvation. And sometimes we may get arrogant toward those who do not believe in Jesus. And yet the power of the gospel is also going forth to reach Jews right now and Muslims now and Hindus now so they can be saved. The gospel is going forth, yes, to see liberals get saved and conservatives get saved and hipsters get saved and the elite get saved. And so we need to be careful that we don't look down on certain people because all of us are disobedient to God. And the gospel of God's mercy is aggressively going out to save people, even for you. Even for you. Even for one in here today who doesn't believe. You can get in on this. God's mercy is held out to you. Jesus died for sinners. You put your faith in Jesus who died for sinners, buried, rose again, right? Sitting at the right hand of the Father is coming again one day. You can be forgiven of your sins. This gospel is for you. For all of us who repent and believe and put our faith in Jesus. Now, I, I am, I'm so excited about the next few verses. I feel like I need to take a, a break or something. But I'm telling you, these next few verses, uh, from 33 to 36, I just encourage you to memorize these. I really do. I, don't, I mean, it's just amazing. I can't get these verses out of my head. These are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. So get ready. We're going to look at God's plan for God's glory as we finish up here. Look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and unfathomable his ways. Now, Paul is leading us to this worship of God who has this great plan of salvation. And this plan of salvation is, is revealing the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. It's saying God should be praised for the depth of his riches of his salvation plan. He should be praised for the wisdom of his salvation plan and the infinite knowledge that his plan entails. 
And the way God carries out his plan on this earth is unsearchable and unfathomable. And the plan can't be pinned down to an exact science, nor can it be critiqued. And you get that God is not, God's not worrying about his plan being accomplished. Just because we can't see history unfolding doesn't mean that God doesn't see all that he is doing and you never know where his salvation mercy is going to strike because he has this depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. And and Paul's going to elaborate a little bit on this. He's going to elaborate. Look at verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? So God has knowledge, as we see from verse 34, which comes from Isaiah 40, 13. God has wisdom as well, that he has this wise plan that he is seeing playing out. And he's also very gracious and rich toward us. And I think these verses right here have some implications for us as human beings. When we think about God's knowledge and we think about his wisdom, and we think about his grace to us, it it has implications. And I I think the first implications come with regard to his knowledge that we do not want to design God. When we study the word of God, we do not want to say, okay, I don't like what it says, so I'm going to design a different God. I don't like his plan of, of setting aside the Jews and then focusing on the Gentiles now, or it could be anything else in the word of God. We've got to be very careful that we do not design God to our liking or that something that fits our American comfort or something that just fits our Hot Springs Village comfort. We want to stick with the word of God and do not design him. Let God be God. Not only Is his knowledge perfect, but his wisdom is perfect. That means he does not need advice from you. We don't need to counsel him. We don't need to give him instruction. Say, God, you really should do it a different way. Your plan is kind of messed up. We want a different plan. No, don't design God. Don't counsel God. And and the last one is, is don't bill God. Don't bill him. Don't bill him. Verse 35 says, "Who, who has ever given to him that it might be paid back again. What? There's no way. Like, I've got, I've given you something. I've given you a piece of myself. Now pay me back. No, don't bill God. God is never in our debt. We do not bill him. We never give things to God like counsel where he is obligated to pay us back. God is the one who gives the gift of salvation and we are obligated to give him praise and to serve him. So my brothers and sisters, Don't get to a point where you're thinking, okay, God, you can do it better than that. He doesn't need your counsel. Don't design him and don't bill him. I've been thinking about some of you this past week. And maybe, I don't know if you've ever asked this question, okay. Are the circumstances of the Christian's life better than the life of someone who's not a Christian? Now, I don't say your life better, but the circumstances. Like, just because you're a Christian, it's everything going to go Great for you compared to those who don't know Jesus. Well, no, okay? The circumstances can be just as hard for you. I was watching a documentary this week on Michael J. Fox. Remember the Back to the Future guy? Okay. Uh, Parkinson's at a young, very young age. Still still has it, struggles with it. And, and the documentary is called Still. Because Michael J. Fox, he's all, he was always going. He was cranking out movies, TV shows, always moving his life, moving his life. And then when he got Parkinson's, he, he, he had this idea. He said, you know, if I keep moving, 
the tremors will go away. If I just keep moving, I'm not going to feel the total impact. I'm, I keep and what he found is he's getting older and he's struggling more with it, that he is becoming still <laughs> and present in every moment because he can't keep going like he used to be going. And you go, well, you know, he's probably an unbeliever. That's what he has to deal with. But I tell you what, Parkinson's can strike a believer. Many of you have experienced things you never, ever thought you would experience. But you know Jesus. And I know even in the midst of whatever you're going through, you know God has a plan. And if it's making you still and know that he's God, then maybe that's part of his plan. But God is still big. He still has a plan. And he still will come through for you. Maybe now, but for sure in eternity. So that's one thing that you have that underbelievers do not have is that you have God. You know he's working a plan. It may not feel good. It may not look good. It may not be what you wished. But God is still working a plan for your good and for his glory. And that brings us to the last verse. As I'm going to sleep this week, I just keep saying this verse in my head. For from him, through him, and to him, are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. God has structured his sovereign plan to bring him the glory forever. The way that he set up salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles through Jesus was meant to bring him the glory. And all that we see in this unfolding history, it says is, you see it? From him. What does that mean? Well, he is the source he set it up this way. He's the source of this plan. And all that we see unfolding of the history has a purpose and meaning through him, which means he is the sustainer of your life, the sustainer of his plan. And all that we see unfolding of history is to him. He's the goal. Everything is to be done for his fame and his glory. We're to live lives that actually believe that he is the source, sustainer, and the goal. And we live for his glory. And we, we really, we do this well when, when things are going well. And when we're, we're happy. And when, when we see some type of success. Uh, th- this past Wednesday, my, my wife and I were at this church where my kids go. And they were doing this children's program. And my uh, 11-year-old son was part of this team where they compete throughout the year, do Bible verses, sports stuff, and his team won, and, and I, I was so excited, and he, he, got this, he got this golden duck. I don't know why. I don't know why it was a golden duck, but I was, I was happy, and, and I can say, Lord, thank you for what you did in my son this year, and you're still doing in him. Thank you, you got a golden duck, and we can just be like, you know, when, when things are going well, we got glory. We just give you all the praise and all the glory. But I tell you what, when things are not going well, especially with our kids, how do you live then? Are you still giving God all the praise and the glory? Are you crying out and saying, God, I just don't know about your plan. It's not a good plan. You don't really know what you're doing. Let me give you some counsel how to make this better, especially with my kids. You see, God's wanting us to give him glory 
when we get the golden ducks for our kids. He wants us to give him glory when the golden ducks don't come. He wants us to give him glory no matter what is going on. Because I think some of us really think, you know, God, I want to get you figured out. I, I, I want to condense you and make you small so you'll do things my way. There, there's this historic story, and I don't know if it's true. It's probably not true, but it's such a good story of, of the great theologian, Augustine. You've heard of him many, many centuries ago. He's out one day. He's contemplating God. I think he was contemplating the Trinity and just thinking about God. He's just trying to figure out God. And as he's walking along the sea, he sees a little boy who digs this big old hole in the ground, you know, with his shovels and stuff. And so the boy is going over to the sea. He's getting water. He's dumping in the hole. He's getting water. He's dumping it in the hole. And Augustine's like, what, what are you doing? And, and, the, and the little boy said, well, I, I'm trying to empty the sea into the hole. And Augustine said, that, that's not going to work. That's, that, that, that's not going to work. And then the story goes, the little boy looked at him and said, in the same way, you're not going to figure out God. And then the boy disappeared. That's how the story goes, right? But that's, that's how it is with us. We're like, no, I want to take God, put him in this little hole, and yeah, that's, that's the way God is. That's the way his plan should be. But you don't want to do that. God is big, and he has a plan. He's working his plan, and, and he's going to come through for you, for your good and for his glory. Now, I told you, I would tell you this story at the end where I started at the beginning where this, this woman prayed, Lord, keep our daughter from harm. And it seemed like they raised a, a very harmed child who didn't speak till she was 25. She could barely walk and she was getting pneumonia frequently. And, she, and there, she's like, Lord, I pray for no harm and all I see is harm. And yet, over the years, the husband and the wife started to realize that God was using their disabled daughter to save them in a variety of ways. For starters, you see, back in the day when they was, the, the child was young, the dad started getting a little hungry for money and pursuing ventures just for the sake of cash. And once his daughter was born, he had to put all that on hold, and he started to partner with his father, and together they started a mission agency called World Harvest Mission, which would not have existed unless his daughter was born the way she was born. And then the second thing is the mom started to stress so much under the pressure of taking care of her daughter that it led her to, to challenge her husband, like, do you, do you really even love me? Are you even here for me? And, and it broke them both, and, and they started to cry out to God, and they started writing books together and started a new ministry, and he's one of the best authors I've read. And, and the third thing it's this child, disabled child, raised in this family with other kids. Some of the other kids have devoted their lives to being special education teachers. And the family spends their summer vacations at a camp working with adults with disabilities. And the last thing is the most amazing. The child had significant breathing problems, especially over the winter. So the dad's like, what, what do we do? And so he installed electric heaters. And 10 years later, they went to go sell that house. And they discovered when they were inspecting the house that the gas furnace wasn't installed right, so it was leaking carbon monoxide. And their daughter's condition 
made her susceptible to the effects of carbon monoxide. And so basically, she kept them from literal harm. And 20 years later, the husband said to his wife, God answered our prayer. He kept us from all harm. They thought the harm was a child with disabilities, but that was nothing compared with the danger of two proud and willful parents. God is big. He's working his plan. He will come through for you no matter what's going on right now. Don't try to shove him into a hole. Don't try to counsel him. Don't try to give him advice. Don't try to bill him. Let God be God and let his plan work out in your life for your good and for his glory. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.